Welcome to Healing the Tigress, a podcast of stories and conversations on Asian American Pacific Islander maternal mental health. We are your hosts, Peggy, a licensed clinical social worker, and Jasmine, a clinical pharmacist. Both of us are Taiwanese American mothers and survivors of postpartum depression and anxiety. We don't know about you, but we didn't grow up talking much about mental health in our families, and we want to change that now that we are mothers. Together with our clinical backgrounds and passion on the subject, we want to create a safe space for the AAPI community to discuss perinatal mental health issues. And together, we want to break generational cycles in our own parenting journeys so that we can heal our inner tigress. A nod to the tiger moms before us. We are so happy you're tuning in here. Let's get started. Hello, listeners. We have been very excited to speak with our guest today, and she's the reason we really wanted to get our podcast out during this month of September, which is also National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. Before we begin, we want to let our listeners know that today's episode will be discussing maternal suicide, which may be difficult or distressing for some of our listeners. If you feel this episode may be triggering for you to listen to, we encourage you to take care of yourself and opt out of listening to this episode for now. Now, without further ado, I wanted to introduce our guest for today. We have here with us Priya Bhakta, who is a mom of two in Florida. And while Priya herself may have some things to share about her own motherhood journey, this will be a very different episode today because we will actually be talking about motherhood surrounding Priya's sister, Nima Bhakta, uh, who some of you may recognize or know as a dear mother that was lost to maternal suicide in July of 2020. So Priya, thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us today and share Nima's story to spread awareness. I know it can't be easy to be in the position that you're in and then having to relive and retell likely one of the hardest stories ever. But I know you're doing this in honor of your sister and for the community. So um, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, um, your cultural background, where you grew up, and maybe just when did Nima become a mother in the timeline of your own motherhood journey? Okay. Hi. It's um, nice to talk to all of you. I'm Priya. I live in Florida. I've been happily married to my husband, Akil, for 12 years. We have two children. Um, they are Arjun is eight and Anoki is five. They are my world. Um, we are first generation um, Indian Americans. That means both of our parents were born in India and immigrated to the United States in the 80s. And this is where we've been um, since our families trace back to India and we go to India often. So the Indian culture is very much a part of our lives and still strong um, today here in um, here living in America. Um, I was blessed to be Nima's sister for 32 years. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head. It was a emotional 2020 for us. Um, we were very close. We are only two years apart. However, she skipped kindergarten. So academic wise, she was only a year behind me in school. She and I have the same friends that meant in our community and at school. 
Um, so we pretty much were tied to the hips. Uh, we did everything together. We shared everything together. And then we were also very different. Um, I was loud. I talked a lot. She was a little bit more shy. But she was also very social. Um, we grew up in San Diego. That is our home. That's still our home. It's our favorite place in the world. We actually, um, her husband was very sweet. He actually chose to spread some of her ashes um, in San Diego. So this is where her resting place was. Yeah. Yeah. When did she become a mother in comparison to your story? Because I know you have two kids. I do. So she became a mother in December 2019. My daughter at the time was about one and a half. Um, So you had two children already by the time she had her first. Okay. Yep. Um, So she was very heavily involved in both my children's lives and also our older sister's um, lives and with her two children. Okay. So I would imagine if your older sister, um, maybe her children are even older. And so Nima has mm -hmm, had a lot of experience with kids. Kids. Yes. She was a nurturer, very patient. And if you envision a kindergarten teacher, just the most loving, loves all the kids, always playful, that's Nima. Mm. Always loved kids. Yeah. So, wow. Thank you for that background Mm -hmm. and you know she sounds amazing and did she I know like you guys have shared your story a lot with Mm -hmm. the media outlets and um seems like very shortly after becoming a mother depression seemed to have hit is that correct yes so this was nothing um normal um for her normal behavior I'd say Um, We've never seen this side of her until she became a mother. She, like I said, very talkative, social, loving. And then pretty much as soon as she became a mother, we just noticed a 180 change in her. Um, Very quiet, didn't take care of herself. Um, She loved fashion and dressing up and makeup since she was a baby. My mom can't ever recall a time where she didn't wear um, bangles on her hands. She always had to have them. So she she cared a lot about how she presented herself, the way she looked. After she became a mother, she just was in sweats, T-shirts, um, never wanted to comb her hair much, um, just nothing. She just did not show any interest in any of the things she, she used to love. So it was... It was quite instant after um, she became a mother and we we tried everything that we knew to get her back to things she loved um, tried to be more of herself but we only we, we only knew so much did you guys um, were you around her a lot soon after she had the baby and mm-hmm. like did, did you guys like visit a lot and so you noticed this quite suddenly? Yeah, so actually at that time, I was actually in the, when she went into labor and actually delivered her son, me and my mom were um, visiting in India, actually. Um, She, we're, we grew, we didn't want our mom with us in the delivery room. We were just very independent like that. Um, We just wanted our space. Yeah, (laughs) we didn't want, we weren't one of those that like, I need my mom. We, we, we didn't want that. Um, so as soon as my mom came back, 
my mom lives in San Diego still, my whole family. And Nima was um, in Los Angeles. So it's just a two-hour drive. Um, so they were fairly close. Me being in Florida, I wasn't around um, to notice anything or see him for a while. But my mom picked up on all of these signs. You know, mothers just know when something's wrong with their baby, no matter how old they are. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom called me and she's like, you're going to need to come down here because in our in our family, everyone knows that the bond that me and her have is just different. It's different. We were very, very close. So she broke down to me a few times on the phone prior um, to my mom all noticing all these signs. And then my mom actually in March of Keshav, Keshav is her son. Keshav was born December 30th, 2019. Uh, March of 2020, my mom was like, you really need to come here because we can't get through to her, so to say. And the only person she can think of to help out is me. Um, With me having two children of my own, making that trip was a little difficult. And my daughter was only one and a half. Was this also right before the pandemic broke out? Because yep. I think in March 2020. Yes. Like. So actually the pandemic broke out while I was there. Oh. <laughs> so Imagine not I having was, been able to fly there because of. Yeah. Right. Actually, I, I flew there. I flew there. Yeah. I spent um, about a week. I was supposed to be there for two weeks. My husband and my son were going to join the week after. So we were all going to be together for, I was going to be there for a total of two weeks. One week into my stay, um, the news broke out of the pandemic and all of this. And I actually had to cut my trip short and leave. Um, but in that one week, I I felt like I went, I, I did a lot with her, something that, um, like I said, mentioned earlier, she was not caring for herself. She desperately needed a haircut. Um, she would not go. She was trying to use every excuse to not go get a haircut. Um, and I was like, you need to go. You need to get out. You need to drive the car by yourself. You need to go and get this haircut. She tried to cancel three times. Eventually, she did go. Um, she used to make amazing... This is all the things that we did in the one week I was there. She used to make amazing fajitas and she's I was like come on let's go you're gonna make um fajitas for dinner tonight and she was like nope I'm not doing it and once I told her and I like helped her she actually made the fajitas on her own um so she was slowly coming back I don't know if it it was just me being around because we're just so close like that I mean if if you ask anyone they always saw us together so I just knew her she just knew me so I was doing all those things, um, and she was slowly like adjusting um, in our culture. So actually, the day I had to fly, I had to fly back. I had to cut my uh, trip short because my son and husband were still back in Florida. Um, in our culture, we always give money to nieces and nephews. Um, we always leave envelopes. So she That's actually, so I didn't actually yeah. know that about Indian culture because we yeah. do have Chinese culture the too. Red envelope. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we always do envelopes. Um okay. and it's always an odd amount. <laughs> Interesting. For us odd. it's even amount. Yeah. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. For us there's always a 
a one dollar added to oh interesting yep it's always an odd amount mostly I love learning about this though this is really cool I know yeah so she actually um so she wasn't herself but the day I flew out she snuck two envelopes for both kids in my diaper bag so there were some parts of her that she was um still there so to say she was still there she was still our Nima we just had to find her um and the pandemic got in the way and COVID and then everything just changed pretty much overnight for all of us. Did she mention the words depression or did she tell you she felt like she was depressed? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a few other things that we noticed or I noticed in my one, one week with her, he was a great sleeper. Most newborns are up, um, many times a night she was exclusively breastfeeding so you know it's shorter shorter sleep um times but he this this little guy slept like six hours I slept in the same room with her and I was supposed to be the helper and wake (laughs) up and change his diaper and do all that for her to give her a little break but he just slept he slept the whole time so she was she was getting enough rest um at least more than what I got with my two (laughs) she was getting enough rest and um she was watching the monitor like a hawk anytime he was down um almost trying to time when he would um wet his diaper and she had to instantly change his diaper if she felt like he um peed or most Like me as a mom, when my kids were asleep, I was just trying to either sleep or eat or something. She was just a hawk, you know, just watching that monitor like a hawk. So I was like, what is going, what is going on here? Yeah. yeah, So she did use the word. um, After I flew back to Florida, she broke down with me on the phone about two or three times, just full on tears, just sort of hallucinating tide, just kind of, I don't know what's wrong. And I I don't know, this is not me and just crying. And I was like, me and her husband were in um, communication a lot trying to figure out, you know, figure all this out. This is uncharted waters for all of us. We don't know how to, how to, you know, go about any of this. So he had told me, Um, We need to do something. And I agreed. I said, we need to get like real, we need to get like real intervention now because everything we're doing within the family doesn't seem to be um, having any effect on, on her or this or helping her situation out, so to say. What, what would you say was that pinpoint moment where like everything that we are trying to do as the family, as the immediate village, right? Like what Mm -hmm. was the telltale piece that you're like, this needs, this needs professional help. Yeah. For me, it was the full on breakdown crying. I've never seen her like that. Um, I've never heard her even cry like that. The only times we, you know, cry, of course, you know, when we see like weddings and girls leaving their homes and, you know, moments like that, like, but nothing where it's, it's something that's affecting her, her emotions. We've never experienced that. So when she broke down, on the phone, uh, not the first time, but the second time, um, that's when we were like, okay, we've, we've got to dig deeper now and do something. Um, she had a follow-up appointment with her OB a few weeks after that, I believe. I, I can't remember exactly 
um, how many weeks after. But because it was COVID, her husband wasn't allowed to join in. Um, so he had to drop her off. She went upstairs and he made sure that she at least put the phone on, on speaker and he can listen in. So when her OB was asking her the basic questions, how are you feeling? Um, what's going on? She said, I'm fine. Everything's good. She gave no indication that something was wrong. So her husband actually had to chime in on the speaker phone on the phone and was like, no, you need to actually tell him how you're feeling, what's going on, explain to him. So the doctor then agreed. Um, he was like, okay, um, he actually prescribed some antidepressants uh, medicines for her and she was given them um, and he said that we'll meet back and see in a few weeks how all this, uh, you know, how you're doing from this. Now with any of these medicines, it takes at least about three months of continued use to even see somewhat of a, an effect. She wasn't taking them. She was so... Um, she thought that the medicines would pass through her breast milk and um, get into her son. Did anyone explain to her that the, the option that the doctor chose might have been okay or more safe for a breastfeeding mom or just sort of explain like when she would see the effect? Because, you know, so many people I feel like don't have a good grasp um, mm -hmm. on that. And yeah. three months maybe to see like a lot more change, but at minimum I'd say four to six weeks mm -hmm. before you notice, you know, changes. And that's that's even at the right dose. So you'd still have to titrate yeah. the dose up. Yeah. yeah. She she was aware. Um, okay. She was aware that she needed she needed to take this in order to have um, you know some sort of change. Her she also lived with her sister in law who is a nurse. Oh okay. Um, familiar with the medical background, medicines, all of that. Um, so and she was actually living with them, and she's very comfortable with all of them. Um, she actually preferred to stay over there. Um, more than San Diego at our house. Um, she was very comfortable over there. So she knew that she need, um, the effects needed, you know, she needed to take it for a prolonged time in order to see any changes. She, mm -hmm. she was aware. Did she have any, like, therapy augmented on top of that? Right. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So another thing, um, one of her best friends is also a uh, mental, like, a therapist. So they were... When I say the village showed up, we were all there in full force. She, everyone of every walk of life was trying to help her. She's got another sister-in-law who's also there, a psychologist. Um, so she was doing a few sessions through Zoom because with it's COVID. The person, with the person that she knew? Yes. So, um, okay. no, with a different person. Okay. okay. With a different. But it was only one or two sessions to be quite honest. I don't think it was much. It wasn't okay. much. And they also had um, another family emergency in between all this and a, a, another family death. Yeah, oh. so she, it was just a lot of, of sadness right. in right. the home. And the pandemic um, just felt like maybe like a wrench in all of this too because yes. so much was uncertain, right? Mm -hmm. Was the therapist that she saw someone with similar, similar cultural backgrounds, was that therapist South Asian? I don't believe so. But her best friend, um, one of her best friends is 
do you mm-hmm. think perhaps if that therapist were South Asian, it could have made a difference more? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Just because when someone knows, it, it's like when you go to a doctor and, you know, when I go to my doctor and they see I'm Indian, they kind of know, generalize what my diet is with the rice and, you know, it's it's sort of the same thing. It is if they know how your family runs, how how your daily life looks like a little bit, they can help you more. They can um, relate to you more. Um, so uh, 100%, if I believe if she was speaking with a South Asian um, therapist, it would have it would have helped a lot. It seems like um, maybe also the pandemic could have brought on more anxiety, like oh, yes. things need to be more clean, right? Mm-hmm. And she's thinking about that with her son. I, I remember reading about how you mentioned the the timing of the diaper changes. Mm-hmm. Peggy, when you hear stuff like that, do you think as a therapist, perhaps there's maybe even like an OCD component? Yeah, I think definitely there's, you know, when you think of that, it's like, the, there's the obsessive part and then compulsive, right? There's like the thoughts, like these obsessive thoughts, but then also the behaviors that are um, trying to almost like mitigate the upset, like the anxiety and the obsession, right? And so this this need for certain things to be a certain way, like the timing of diaper changes or certain things having to be a certain way and kind of compounded with a lot of that anxiety. Like I think one of the things I always think about is how much anxiety and depression are the same, uh, different sides of the same coin and how all of those things compounded. And I think Jasmine, you brought up a good point. This is all happening within the pandemic. Um, and she is getting that village support, right? Like getting all of that additional help. And so, um, one thing that we also think about is, is there any like internalized guilt of everyone's here to help me. Priya flew all the way. I have friends that are therapists. I'm living with my sister-in-law who's a nurse. And I think about how there's that like, but why am I feeling this way? Um, How come I'm not getting better? I'm doing all the things I need to do. I got the medication. I saw the therapist. Did she ever kind of express those things to you? Yeah, and going off the um, OCD topic, she she was always like that, very meticulous. Before having a baby. Before baby. Oh, okay. This was a part of her, very organized, like, I mean, just so super organized, meticulous, precise, very particular. This was her. This was a part of her before she even became a mother. Um, yeah, so that was a big, and yes, all of those things you meant, she felt all of those because she, she actually vocalized that um, to me. Everyone keeps doing everything for me. And she actually broke down with her mother-in-law saying the same things. You do everything for me. You're, you're taking care of, you're doing everything. Why do I feel this way? Why am I always sleeping? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she... She vocalized those, all of those things. Yeah. And those are pretty telltale where you feel like, like when depression takes over, like just mm-hmm. sort of thinking about my experience, um, I just feel like you just don't have that energy mm-hmm. and then the guilt sort of consumes you where it becomes like the focal point mm-hmm. that you keep driving yourself deeper into that hole where you feel unworthy. 
um, because she had been so high achieving all her life. Look at her. Yeah. She skipped kindergarten. Yeah. She's, she's perfectionist, organized, and now this is something that, you know, for some reason – it's hard to organize. It's hard to compartmentalize motherhood and mm-hmm. have a detailed step-by-step knowing exactly what's going to happen, even if your baby is a good sleeper. Mm-hmm. I had a good sleeper baby too. She was sleeping through the night almost by like three months and mm-hmm. I still couldn't sleep. And it was like, well, why? You know, everything else seems to be perfect. Everyone tells me, you know, how lucky I am, but why do I feel this way? And it's interesting, though, that she could actually voice that and and speak Mm -hmm. about it with people um, around her in her family. And even with all the cultural stigma and stuff, she's bringing this up. And yet it's still not being touched. I wonder if it's, you know, the therapist that should have been on board, maybe needed a better cultural lens, Mm -hmm. um, maybe a better discussion with like a psychiatrist about the medications and what it could actually do to her. Like what, um, what thing, what barriers could we remove from her anxieties surrounding that? Mm -hmm. Um, in, in some of the, um, news articles, it mentioned that she left, um, a letter at the end Mm -hmm. and, um, leading up to, you know, all of this, did she ever tell you she had thoughts about ending her life? No, um, there was no, this came out of nowhere. Um, we knew it was bad towards the end, a couple of, I believe about a week before, before the actual, um, she, they were trying to, her family was trying to help her wean off of breastfeeding just to maybe, um, you know, get her, get her, give her a break or kind of release her, so to say, or not be so attached, um, give her, give her an extra, um, you know, time or break away from him. So she was on the phone with me constantly. Um, I talked to her the night before and it was a normal conversation. Mm -hmm. She was just asking me for all the tips on how to wean and, and how this will work and, Um, how she'll feel and everything just completely normal so this just kind of came out of nowhere um I did find out later that she she um ran away once oh yep and her husband went after her and she said I'll never do this again um so the this was we never knew she had these thoughts even the way it wasn't a letter that she actually wrote out it was something she, uh, it was a letter she, I want to say, had been working on for a while, though, because it was um, in her email, but it was in her drafts. It was in her drafts, and she's been working on it for, it, it seemed like for a while. And no one, we didn't even find it till a little bit later. And, I mean, no one looks in their drafts. Right. No one really, yeah, but it was in there. And that's was- where we found everything. There was no other note saying like, check no. my emails or, okay. No. Even the morning of, um, she said she was going to go get Starbucks. Um, and she was hesitating on which car to take uh, to Starbucks. So they had a brand new car and then two other cars. She's like, maybe I'll go in this one. And then she came back inside and switched the key. Then, oh, I'll go in this one. Just it was just off. Just everything was off. Um, she was actually stopped by a road ranger too. 
Wow. Uh, yeah, she was actually, because she was pulled over. California's got um, road rangers that just kind of drive around and make sure no one's pulled over. She was actually stopped by a road ranger. He came out and he spoke to her. Wow. He's like, hey, because it was a brand new car. And so she's like, hey, you know, he's probably wondering, like, this is a new car. I'm not sure why it's on the side of the road. So he's like, hey, is everything okay? You're good? And she goes, yeah, I'm good. I'm just, uh, I needed a, I don't even know what she would have said, but yeah. So she, she was, I, I guess, almost even stopped before the actual event. And then, wow. I think what's really interesting to me is just everyone had been talking to her even this yeah. road ranger stopped her, but there's this internal world when you yeah. have depression that no matter how many people you're talking to and checking, it's really what's going on. This letter is where she was having a lot of that turmoil. And, mm-hmm. and like you said, that wasn't even sent out. It was a mm-hmm. place where she was trying to put out there mm-hmm. what she was really holding inside and what she was really right. needing to put into words. But taking that leap from saying it to someone versus like holding it in or keeping it somewhere. Mm. I think that's the part that is so hard is to take Mm. it from inside and being able to actually take it out and say, let me actually tell someone like even at the OB appointment, how the immediate reaction is just to be like, Oh no, I'm good. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. You know, I will say for our family, that letter was somewhat of a, not a closure you never feel Mm. closure when it comes to um, death or grief Um, but it was sort of like she put air back into us Mm. um, when we when we read it and we had that because you just feel so much guilt like maybe I could have done this maybe I could have done this but whatever and that's who she was she was just very caring she thought she was always a planner Right. So she thought it out enough to to kind of like leave us with the with this um, with this letter. And we I don't know, but we did find it and we read it and it mentioned all of our names and left us a little bit, a little something for for all of us. So she she put some life um, back into us, so to say. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like um, I feel like when you're grieving, you're looking for parts of the person you're missing and stumbling upon that was like, almost like you were able to talk to her again. Exactly. And get some insight into what was maybe going on behind the whole scenes because, Mm -hmm. you know, like you said, it's never closure, but you almost want like a, but why or how? Mm -hmm. And when you do, do you mind sharing like who was the person that found it and you know when did you read it and how did you feel when you read it okay we indian families um do everything together extended families so it is mm-hmm. whether it's a birthday party same the amount of people that are at the birthday are going to be there when someone passes away it's just a lot of people extended family so one of her sister-in-laws is the one who went through her phone and actually found found the letter um i I remember exactly when uh, we were told her, I think I flew out the next day. um, I flew out the next day. And as soon as I got there, her husband, um, we we do a lot of prayers. So we had just finished the prayer and her husband asked if we can all go up to their bedroom that they shared. 
um, he sat us all down and he told us about the letter that his cousin found and we all read it. Um, we all passed the phone around. We all read it. And immediately um, we, he asked, you know, what, how do you guys want to go about it? Again, the cultural thing, this in our community, if it happened before, it was always labeled as something else. It was never put with the label suicide. It was always back back in India in the villages. They said they would always say she fell in the well or things of that nature. It was never, um, you know, suicide. So we he told us about it, and immediately we we decided as a family uh, that we were going to share her story. And I want to say he gave us that option. Um, he was like, I'm with you guys on however you want to go about it. I spent a few minutes, um, explaining to my mom what all her letter meant, what all she said, what messages, um, she left for everyone. And then, um, between me, my parents, my sister, we, we decided we would share her story. And up, up until that point, we were living our worst nightmare, crying uncontrollably, didn't know how to go about. And then, I, like I said, that letter put some life back into me. And I, I'm the most vocal in our family. <laughs> so I, I was like, no, we're going to share. We're going to share this story. And we decided to tell everyone and we started... Um, Again, our villages pulled through. They started posting things. And that very night, then the next day, my brother-in-law actually got a message from a random stranger saying how we probably saved her life um, because wow. she was going through the same exact thing and that she was going to go downstairs and talk to her husband right away about how she was feeling. So it was um, pretty much within hours of us deciding as a family that we would share her story, that we were already receiving messages of, you know, helping random uh, strangers. That's huge. And that's so powerful. I feel like it's also such a big thing for the whole family to agree and say, you know, we can't Mm -hmm. let her memory be in vain. Mm -hmm. We need to be moved to action, right? And yeah. the impact this has been for the Indian mm-hmm. community, I think is phenomenal, right? And like you said, yeah. the lives that oh, you're yeah. able to save by, mm-hmm. by putting a voice out there and yes. sharing her voice. Mm-hmm. I hold a lot of that on me. I feel like I'm supposed, I was always her voice even before. So I feel like this is, this, this is my way of um, paying tribute to her. This is my way of doing it. I just want to say thank you for mm-hmm. even today talking to us, but just mm-hmm. that strength and bravery and decisiveness that you had in that moment, which should have been so, so hard. And just like you said, maybe that fire, like that letter lit a fire in you. It did. Yeah. And you were like, you know, we have proof of something that we mm-hmm. can sort of show people like we don't want this to happen to anybody else it shouldn't have Mm -hmm. happened to her exactly and it shouldn't have to happen to anybody else and it's so touching 
I know you guys sort of created something together when you put this out there and I know there was a hashtag, you know, break the stigma for Nima. Yes. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Oh yeah. Um, my brother-in-law has done a lot between him and his family. They've, they've, Within our community, we've just went full force into this hashtag break the stigma for NEMA on every outlet we can think of, um, social media. There's My brother-in-law does a softball tournament for her every year mm. in honor of her. So all of these things we're doing is to um, raise money for a, the mental health, Asian American Mental Health Alliance. Um, and they've actually created a scholarship in her name. Wow. Um, so many of our community members continue to donate to, to that every year. There's, they've been able to do a lot, a lot as far as helping new mothers, um, specifically Asian, uh, background mothers. Um, and we can, we don't stop, um, we keep using our resources to keep um, sharing her story. Yeah. And there's a logo that was created for, for her. Mm-hmm. Great. I think I remember seeing uh, the hashtag pop up. I have, you know, we have probably mutual friends, like friends mm-hmm. of friends. And when I had heard this story, it just like hit me really hard because mm-hmm. I feel like I kind of can relate to that dark space that she was mm-hmm. in with my own mm-hmm. personal story. And, uh, you know, there's a statistic out there that says Asian mothers are nine times more likely to have suicidal ideations compared to Caucasian women. And I did like a sort of ec- you know, deep dive on this study uh, on my newsletter earlier this year when we heard about Coco Lee, who was a famous Asian singer that also died by suicide mm-hmm. because it just like, it, it's staggering, like nine times more likely uh, compared to the, our, our Caucasian counterparts. And I think a lot of it has to do with that cultural upbringing that we have mm-hmm. and the certain stigmas and how we keep everything inside because we're mm-hmm. expected to just be strong. And mothers especially, I think, have that symbol where we just have to be. That's just how it is. And if you're not a strong mother, if you don't feel like you're a strong mother, then somehow we failed. So I think the fact that you guys shared it and didn't label it as something, you know, fell in the well (laughs) and you really put a name to it and labeled it as suicide Mm -hmm. you know people don't like to say that word it's like such Mm -hmm. a such a scary word to think about it's the s word of mental health and no one wants to talk about it or hear about it but the fact is because we keep sweeping it under the rug that's why we're not getting help for it and that's why it feels so shameful to talk about Mm -hmm. it so I'm really glad you guys are doing all this work and we hope to be able to spread more word out there um, to help our community, our our AAPI community feel that if they have these thoughts, they can talk about it. Mm -hmm. I also feel like as providers, like women of color in general, a lot of both their physical pain and emotional pain can be minimized a lot. And like, I think studies have shown, like when women of color are being treated by providers, they're taken not necessarily less seriously, but it's not taken as 
it's easy to brush those things under, right? Like even mm-hmm. just the example where Nemo's like, oh, I'm fine. If it wasn't for her husband saying, no, t- tell him, you know, mm-hmm. who knows what could have happened if he would have mm-hmm. just not dug deeper or prescribed or anything. And I think that's also just um, educational for, for providers out there that this is what's happening within mm-hmm. our communities and that a lot of times the women in our community might minimize what's really going on and we might have to probe a bit more and give them that permission to open up a bit more. Her um, OB office has completely changed the way they do their follow-up appointments with mothers. Wow. Oh, that just gave me chills. They have completely changed the way they go about it. Um, They dig deeper now. Good. Yes. And this revolution where this ripple effect that Mm -hmm. people are starting to open their eyes and say, you know, if a mother says she's fine, ask her again, Mm -hmm. right? There's that thing where, you know, dig more because Mm -hmm. it's so easy to just say, I'm fine. How was your day? And move on. But with moms, we have to be especially careful. And I remember seeing something that one of the things in Nima's letter was that she said, and this is all just from news outlets, so you can correct me mm-hmm. if it's wrong, but um, she said that, you know, the Indian American population just wouldn't understand mm-hmm. about postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. And what would you want the Indian American population or just any of our population, AAPI or not, to understand more about postpartum depression? What would you want them what do you think Nima would want them to really understand? So first, um, I think it goes back to just childhood and the way Asian, most Asian families and parents um, work. Um, with my own parents, I mean, we felt the love since we were little. It was never spoken. We just felt it. We know we were their world. We knew this is just how Asian families operate. Um, But when it comes to postpartum, most love language with Asian families or in our family is food and caring, Um, making all the meals, taking whatever work they can off your hands is the love language in most Asian families. So I think aside from that, when when there is a new mother, I think just helping her do things she loved or things she did before she became a mother. I think there's just so much about nurturing the body and with food, good foods in this, but there in the, in the grand scheme, she needs more than just the food and to nurture her body. She needs to nurture her brain. Um, she needs to take her out, take her to I mean, if she loved to watch movies, just take her to watch a movie. If she loved sitting at the beach, just take her to sit at the beach. Help her with that. Take the baby to the beach. Breastfeed at the beach. Just whatever it is. Just I think most families need to be aware of the of that aspect of not just taking work off the hands of the mother but actually doing things she did before she became a mother, sort of trying to help her identify herself before her life um, changed. I think you said earlier too, when you were about to leave the first time you flew out there, mm-hmm. how she was still in there. Like he, she yeah. he just needed to find her or she needed yep. to find her, right? And 
and that sneaking the money into yes. the diaper bag. She and how was still there. She was yeah. still there, right? Yeah, Helping she was. the mom find herself again. Yes. I think you nailed it, like, just about the identity portion. Mm-hmm. Because I remember saying to my husband all the time, like, I just want to feel normal again. I want to mm-hmm. feel like I did before I had the baby when it felt like me. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't find her or couldn't understand how I could be her again. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so what you're describing about helping Nima find herself or become yeah. herself in the new context of motherhood, but still with like, you know, pieces of her old self and weaving right. that in, that's so mm-hmm. important and something we probably forget because it's just mm-hmm. easier to cook food or bring food. Right. right. And even words, maybe even words and saying like, you're doing a great job. Yes. I know, or I know this is hard, this sort of validation with mm-hmm. words and which can be helpful, I think, to some people who maybe, maybe their love language is words of affirmation. You mm-hmm. know, I know that is for myself, but same thing with you, my Asian parents, like, they weren't going to say those kinds of yeah. words. That's not how the language shows mm-hmm. up. So do you think that you guys had the language to talk about depression even or suicidal thoughts in your culture? Mm, up until then, I've never heard of anything like that um, in our community. I There was once um, talks about a few keep uh, people in, in the big community in the community that might have but it was always two or three different versions so it was never just you know death by suicide so we never talked about it and it was it was always um that's so sad uh you know and then nothing talked of no no further discussion um about it so we just went on, everyone just went on about their day, but we never actually sat and talked like, oh, maybe this or maybe that. Um, it was never talked about. We don't know anything about it. It's uh, it's one of, every death in, in, in my family, in our family, is a tragic death. Every single one of them. Um, so this, for us, for a while, it was why our family? Because every death up until that point was was tragic. Uh, just all of a sudden. How do you think that her story now on this side has been received by your community? You know, either your generation of of parents or your parents' generation right. of people. So um, I know it's it's reached out a lot um every everyone that comes in contact with not just us but family friends know they're at least aware that this happened and for us that is a big big deal because like i said until this point i mean no i've never heard about it and i'm i'm pretty sure in our all, all the communities they don't they don't ever discuss these things but now they know Nima by her name they know her story they know that this happened and they know that she died by suicide that is the biggest thing they know this now so I know I've heard of so many new moms come and tell me that they they 
change the way they go help, help their daughters now. Um, they don't just go to stay with her and then leave. Um, most moms think that when a baby's born, they go, they stay with the daughter, and then after a few weeks, they come back. Once she's able to do everything on her own, they leave. Now they're doing a lot more. They're calling every day, multiple times a day. They're doing more than just cooking the food. They are, they're doing things that the daughter would have loved. And so, and it's um, not just the actual maternal families, it's the in-laws too. Wow. The in-laws are actually doing, because most women spend more time with the in-laws than they do with their own families. In our community, once a girl's married, most of the time she lives where her husband's from or where he's from and she just steps in and starts her life fresh. Um, so I know it's reached many different homes in our community and now it's talked about a lot. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. At least now it's not like for us where we never heard about it before. Yeah. Now everyone at least has heard about it. I'm so glad that it was received in a way mm-hmm. that, you know, propelled change and not mm-hmm. just further shunned or stigmatized. Yeah. And that's the risk you took when mm-hmm. you told the story, but it was a risk that really paid off and paid mm-hmm. forward. But I will say as far as the stigma part goes, it's a lot easier for me because my generation has grown up here and they're a lot more accepting of these things. They're a lot more aware because they're just um, diversified. My parents are a different story when it came to their friends, their um, their peers. That That's a whole different um, story for them. It was either perceived in a positive way, like, oh, thank you, you guys did a lot, or it was, that one never happened to my family. That one never happened to my daughter. It's a little bit of both. So um, the generational gap, the uh, growing up here, those factors play a big role in how everyone took, um, took in her story. Still some work to be done, right? A lot more. Never mm-hmm. stops. No. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. still see uh, Nima's husband or your nephew often? And Oh, gosh, yeah. He. Yeah. Um, I often say, I was like, I'm, I'm so glad she left me him because I think Aww. aside from the letter, you know, she lives through him. There's mm-hmm. so – we talk every day. We Aww. FaceTime probably definitely once a day, sometimes more. He's a huge part of um, our lives. He visits my parents often. My parents go visit him often. My older sister is over there. She goes and sees him often. And then we're always there at least once or twice a year. And then he also visits here. But we're in communication daily. That's awesome. Yeah, he's a huge part of our life. And I have to thank my brother-in-law for, for that too. He... He definitely plays a big uh, part in making sure that we're connected to him. Uh, yeah, I love mm-hmm. that your brother-in-law was, he just seemed like he was such a supportive husband and, yeah. you know, advocate even for mm-hmm. after her death on how do we make this not a pain source, but a point right. of light, a right. point of hope, right? Yeah. So thank He's you consoled for- us on everything. 
um, consultant, you know, ultimately he's the decision maker, but he has always, always included us. Thank you, Priya, again, for sharing this. It's, it's so meaningful to hear. And especially during this month of, you know, suicide prevention and awareness. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening out there and you have a, a loved one experiencing this, or you feel like you might be having some dark thoughts of, of ending your life, you know, please don't, please don't hesitate to call or reach out. And there's a lot of resources out there. The National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is 988. It's short and easy to remember now. There's actually even a National Maternal Mental Health Hotline. It's 1-833-852-6262. And we're going to link all these in our show notes. But there is somebody on the other line willing to listen. And if Nima's story has touched you in any way, you know, it's it's because we can't lose any more moms. One is too much. Mm-hmm. So we don't want this to happen to anybody else. And thank you, Priya, for sharing this deeply vulnerable and personal story. So I think we want to maybe wrap on a happier note. Mm-hmm. And um, Peggy and I like to do this thing at the end of the day mm-hmm. where we talk about what would you like to do to help your mental health this week? Um, just as something light to end with. So um, do you want to go first, Peggy? You look like you have something to say. <laughs> sure. Um, I, I'm going to take a bath. I know that's a <laughs> simple and sometimes cliche self-care, but um, I think it's important. I think Sometimes people dismiss something as simple as like a bath or a shower. It's like, oh, that's not self-care. That's just what you do, like clean mm-hmm. yourself. But, you know, just even being able to put my comfort and my well-being first in the form of a bath. Um, so I'm going to take a bath sometime this week and throw in some bath bombs and, you know, just have some alone time and maybe read a book in the bath. I love taking baths. That sounds What great. about you, Priya? Um, I actually live... 10 minutes from the beach and I hardly ever go jealous <laughs> and it's storming and one of my favorite things to do is go to the beach and just look at it when wow. there's a storm coming on so Fun. <laughs> I'm gonna go to the beach that sounds uh, very moody and romantic yeah <laughs> I'm gonna go by myself though <laughs> and that no like even by yourself that's that makes it yes. even more romantic and yes. may, maybe this will spark you or remind you to do that this week yes great yeah um, and I think I'll just end with um I am actually gonna go get lunch with my husband just the two of us sometime this week because we I just feel like sometimes that alone time can be so nice especially mm-hmm. Um, now that our daughter is a little bit older and we can get away, uh, we try to try to squeeze that in whenever we can. And if he's not working and I'm not working, so that'll be my self-care and mental health light this week. So thank you again, Priya. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. If Nima's story really resonated with you today and you'd like to connect with Priya or learn more about Nima's story, we will link resources in our show notes as well as ways that you can get in touch with Priya. We 
hope you have enjoyed Healing the Tigress in our conversations on maternal mental health in the Asian American Pacific Islander community. Please follow our show and our Instagram page to catch our latest episodes. We have so many fantastic guests and deep topics that we are so excited to cover soon. If you enjoyed this episode or would like to support us more, we would love it if you left us a review and shared this podcast with a friend to spread the word. Check out the show notes for more links. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope these conversations will help our AAPI mothers heal their inner tigress and honor their mental health as they deserve to. See you next time. Thank you.